597. 597. So I'm, I am uh, not very good at maths. I, I, I grant you that. But from my calculations, that, 597, is roughly how many occasions I've preached at London City Presbyterian Church. I did the maths this week very briefly and poorly, I'm sure. But 597 times that I've come up here to open God's Word. 597 times. And yet today feels a little bit different. 597 times, and this feels a little bit strange. Maybe you can uh, see why uh, from the reading. What an immensely solemn portion of Scripture we have in front of us today. Do you not agree with me, at least there? I mean, how solemn, isn't it? I mean, perhaps more than most, perhaps more than any of the 597 times prior to this. Isn't this serious? Isn't it incredibly solemn? Because here you have Jesus speak to us of people who in the end are lost. And people who in the end who are condemned. And do you know what? The worst element of this for me is that these are people who weren't expecting that to happen. And you must have picked up on that, right? These are souls who were expecting in the last to be received by God and to be accepted by God. These were people who were expecting entrance into heaven. And these are people who hear clearly from Christ the rejection of God. This is very serious, this short portion of scripture. And because of that, I guess I have a, a plea for you. Uh, friend this morning and it would be thus would you today consider this text and would you consider this sermon for yourself you know what we're like very often we consider and listen to a text for other people don't we we're very good at that and listening to a text and like oh this is good for children this is good for the visitor this is good for other people this is good for the person sitting next to me and instead of that this morning i would plead with you you don't do that and that for in our time together, that you look beneath the surface of your own life. In our time together just now, that you consider your own heart. And you consider, in our time together, your own standing before God. And let me tell you what we're going to do, God willing. Let's be really ambitious uh, this morning, shall we? Let's be real, really ambitious. The plan is to try and hit five places uh, this morning in our time together. Five points but check my maths i've already said that i'm really bad at maths so here we go so five things right are we correct with us we're going to consider three conclusions that we can draw about those people in that text who are condemned three conclusions about them three things we learn about them then we're going to consider the verdict that jesus christ declares over those people and then we're going to consider the alternative to their condemnation so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you're with me. I got it. Five, okay, three conclusions, a verdict, and then an alternative. With me? That's the plan, or willing. That's how we're going to go. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bible, to please have this section of Scripture open in front of it. We're going to refer to these verses time and time again. So you're going to need to have it there. We've got it? Okay. Let's have your Bible open as we consider the first thing, and that is that these people who are condemned, these people 
are assenting. These people who are here condemned are assenting. That's our first place. Now, if you've been here regularly uh, in the past wee while, you know this, don't you? That we've been clocking up the air miles at London City Presbyterian Church over the last few weeks, haven't we? Not only in our evening services have we been visiting all of those churches in Asia from Revelation, but what did we do a couple of weeks ago? Do you remember in our morning service? We went on a journey in the ancient world, didn't we? A journey where there's two gates before us and two paths and two destinations. So we've been clocking up the air miles. But where are we right now this morning in God's words? Where are we? Well, do you notice how Jesus begins verse 22? Let me give you a second to find that. Look at the beginning of verse 22. What does he do? He speaks, what does he say? He says, on that day, and I reckon that most of you understand exactly what he means there, that this morning, what's happening right now? You are being whisked off to the day of judgment itself. Isn't that right? That the setting this morning is the very last day of all, the day when our creator God is going to call time on his creation. Isn't he? The day that Revelation 20 tells you, you're going to see with your eyes a great white throne. And it's the day when all people from all nations are going to be gathered before the Lord and the books are going to be opened. And it's the day when all humanity, and that's you, and it's me, all humanity are going to be judged. That's where we are here today. Now, in verse 21, if you go one verse up from there, you notice that Jesus speaks of the people who are going to be rejected on that. You notice that there's a group of people to be rejected. But what I find really interesting and what I want you to notice here is how this group of people who are condemned, how they refer to Jesus. So I wonder if you can see it there. Do you, in verse 21, how do they refer to Christ? Do you see? They call him... People who are rejected call him Lord. Now, I, I, I assume that most of us in this room understand that that term Lord can be used in a couple of different ways in the Bible. We know that, don't we? Um, it can't, that term Lord can't just be a term of respect, can't it? So, just like equivalent to our sort of, sir, oh, excuse me, sir. You know, that sort of idea, that idea of respect can mean that. What else do we know in this room? We know actually that more often than not in the Bible, that term Lord is deep theological meaning, doesn't it? That term Lord very often is a divine title, isn't it? Term Lord, a term for God. A term that surely if we're at the day of judgment, that's what's in view here, isn't it? Now you think about that. Think about it for a moment. Pause there. Think about what is happening in this portion of scripture. Answer me it. Who's being condemned here? Who's been sent away? Being sent away are people who understand and recognize that Jesus is Lord. People recognize, people who are willing to understand Jesus is Lord and they are being here sent away. Now you, you with me there? These are not atheist people being condemned in the last, are they? And they're not agnostic people. And these people who are being sent away by the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not people from another faith. They are people who understand themselves to be Christians. Wow. 
I mean, people who understand themselves to, to be followers of Jesus, people who are willing to profess with their lips that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they're being cast away and they're being sent away. And I reckon that what can happen is that we can be really offended by that idea this morning. We can find it greatly disturbing. But I wonder if you see what's happening here. I think in this portion of Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ is taking a key central truth of the gospel and I bring it into the light, into this place here. Maybe you see what it is. That we need to be, we need more than intellectual assent for salvation. Isn't that it? Like we need more than theological understanding to be saved. You know, we need more than lifeless orthodoxy to enter heaven in the last. And I thought long and hard about how I could illustrate this. So where will I look for an illustration? I don't like doing this, but do you know where we'll look? We'll look here for an illustration. See, because this is true. I'll tell you this for nothing. Like growing up in a Christian home, I, looking back, I don't think there was ever a time in my life where I doubted the key tenets of the Christian faith. I, I really don't think there was ever a time I doubted, you know, good theological things from scripture you know even in my teenage years where i won't go into detail about these things but as wayward as you can possibly imagine never darkening a door of a church and even then if you were to have met me in the street and asked some good theological questions i would have given you the answers that you wanted to hear andy do you think that jesus is god yes do you think he died on the cross for sin yeah i do think that you know, you ask teenage Andy, if you're like, do you think that he's risen from the dead? Do you think that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and judge all? You know, I would have stood in front of you and I would say, yep, I do. I do think that. I do." Th-. And here's the kicker. Here's the point. I was not saved. I was not a Christian. Yes, I could assent intellectually to these things and I would have agreed with you, but my heart was not made new. And maybe that's where some of, some of us in this room are this morning. And I hate to say it, but maybe that rings true for you. Intellectual assent, dry orthodoxy, nothing more. If that is where you are today, I think you need to come to terms with a verse in James chapter 2. And listen to this. Listen carefully. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Even the Demons believe and they shudder. We need more than dry orthodoxy. We need to be born again. So these people are assenting and they're condemned. A second thing that I want you to notice here with me is that these people are also, they are ardent. So these people who are condemned and sent away, they are uh, ardent. And you'll excuse me just for a moment. Um, if I just ensure that I'm taking the kids with us on this okay so boys and girls if you just listen up this is simple grammar vocabulary but do you know what ardent means i've said that these people who are condemned are ardent you know no you didn't see ah i i recognize that that might have been a problem okay so what does it mean to be ardent well colin my son as an ardent supporter of tottenham hotspur football club okay that maybe helps some of the rest of the boys. Juliet, remember what we talked about earlier on? She's an ardent supporter of Burger King, aren't you? 
So maybe the boys and girls work out where we're going now. So ardent means to be enthused or to be excited, doesn't it? To be passionate about something. So I need to ask you, friends, can you see why we can refer to these people who are sent away? Can you see why we can refer to them as being ardent? Did you not notice their repetition of Christ's name? In verse 21, did you see the picture here? Like, consider what happens. These people appear before God in the last. You know, heaven and earth passes away. They come before the throne of grace. And do you see what we've got? There's like, there's emotion here for them. And it's wedded to that intellectual, theological understanding. Do you see? These people are in the last day. They're excited. And they're enthused. And they repeat, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. And maybe again, that disturbs you right now. Does it, friend, the idea that you've got emotionally invested, theologically literate people here being condemned? But I think surely what's happening is another truth is being brought before your eyes. And it's this, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need much more than enthusiasm for the Christian life. You need more than enthusiasm for Christian things, more than excitement for Christianity. And again, I thought long and hard about bringing to you particular illustrations of that. But do you know what? The, just the volume of examples. I find as a minister too much. And I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what I mean. Because Christian friends, how often in the life of the church do we see an initial enthusiasm fizzle out? How often do we see that? Isn't that the most tiring refrain in the life of a church? Isn't it? Do you think so? You know what it's like. You know, people will come to church and begin to come to church and they will, yeah, be really excited about this potentially for a moment and excited about new people, new situations, excited. And they'll be excited, you know, excited even to serve People will be excited to, to, to take on responsibility even. People will be excited to even invite some of their friends. And then what happens? And we've seen it so often. What happens? It fizzles out. That enthusiasm dies. And I ask you, why is that? Why does that enthusiasm fizzle out? We know why. Because it does not come from a life made new. It's not genuine enthusiasm, is it? It's not enthusiasm that's from heart made flesh. Yes, time and time again, we get people going, Lord, 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 enthusiasm. But it's not coming from the springs of living water welling up to everlasting life. And so I have to ask you this. Why are you here? I mean, what is it that, what brings you here? Like, what enthuses you about this? I mean, is it just seeing your friends? Or is it just about a, a routine? Is it about a new routine? Is it about new friends? I mean, is it about you're entertained? Is it a moral element? Where, well, you know, church is a wholesome thing to do. What brings you here? Can I say this to you? All of those things are wonderful. And none of those things are enough. All of that's wonderful. Meeting new people, 
coming here, think it's a wholesome thing to do, you're engaging with the preacher, all of that's wonderful, and none of it's enough. Friends, your salvation is about not an enthused for Christian type things. Your salvation is about being born anew by the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God. These people were assenting. These people were ardent. Third thing that we can establish about these people, though, I think, is that these people were active. They were condemned, but they were active. And I just want to very, 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 very briefly um, get technical just for a moment. So if you uh, have been in church for this sermon series, I wonder if you've noticed, because I haven't labored this point at all, but I wonder if you've noticed how Jesus is structuring so many of these recent sections in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe if you've got your Bible there, you can look at it and see. Like, how does Jesus structure his teaching? Do do you notice that that what he does is he very often, not all the time, but very often begins with a principle, principle, and then he'll go on to amplify that. Did you know, have you noticed that or not? That he sort of begins with his principle. He kind of smacks us with the principle, grabs our attention, and then he'll illustrate or explain it or unpack it. I'll give you a couple examples. You can look at it. There's, do not judge that you be not judged. How's that for an opening line? You know, he principles there, grabs our attention, and then he unpacks it. Or ask and it shall be given to you as your principle, and then he goes on to illustrate it. Well, yes, he does the same thing here, doesn't he? Because he begins with the principle. What's the principle? Drink it in, listen to it. What is it? Wow, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So yes, he begins with this principle, but I think what's fascinating is how he amplifies it. So I want you to look at it with me. Look at verse 22. Have a look at verse 22. I'll I'll, I'll be personal with you. I find this idea incredibly sad. And I think you will too, if if you're there in your mind's eye, because you, you notice that there's many people here being condemned. So multitudes of people. And do you see what happens in verse 22? Jesus has them. He tells us. He depicts them as protesting their condemnation. I mean, do you you invest in that? Can you imagine that? Like the distress on the last day. And not to labor it too much, but the tears in their eyes. And they are objecting to their eternal condemnation isn't it sad now you work with me here though because why are they objecting do you see it in verse 22 what's the basis of their sadness and their objection like what would you say do you notice that there's mention of prophecy and and casting out demons and these sorts did you notice that yes so what how would you describe the basis of their complaint to jesus what would you say is it the basis of good works is that how you would describe it? As though they're saying to Jesus, you can't send me away. I mean, throughout my life, I've done so many good things, Jesus. I mean, you're rejecting me. I've done so much, so many philanthropic acts. And I've been working in charity. And I, I've been, I've been charitable things. I've tried to help others. But you cannot send me away. Would you, would you say that? Is that the idea here? Is it about good works? Is it? Is it? No. It's much worse than that. 
Much worse. And I want you to look back at it. I want you to get the repetition in verse 22. Did you notice there is a phrase repeated three times? Okay, in that short section of scripture, three times. Do you see what it is? Is it, is it prophesying? No. Yeah, prophesying in your name. I've been doing that, Jesus. How can you send me away? I've been teaching in your name or I've been doing kindness in your name. I've been doing stuff in your name, Jesus. And I have to deal with this right now, right here, because I'm scared of this, deeply scared of it. I'm scared that right at this precise moment, there's a lot of people in this room who are not doing what I pleaded with you to do at the start of the sermon. And a lot of people here who are not thinking about the sermon for themselves. I wonder if that's you. Because you know what we're like. You may be thinking, oh, this isn't for me. This is for people who are not Christians. No, this isn't for me. This is for the visitors to the church. This is, this is for me. This is for people who have not professed faith. But particularly, if you have been in church for a long time, doesn't what you're faced with there, doesn't it make you sit up and take note? Because who's been condemned? People who have dedicated themselves to Christian service. That's who's been condemned. People being sent away, cast away from heaven, barred from entry, out of the presence of God, and people who have served in Jesus' name perhaps their whole life. So I have to ensure that you hear this. Please hear it. If you are basing your acceptance by God on the strength of your service, you will be disappointed in the end. God is not after your sense of duty. I mean, he wants your devotion and he is not after your industry. God wants your love. Here, after potentially years and years and years of Christian service, these people in the end on that last day are left in floods of tears. And why? Because they had not truly rested in Christ Jesus for their eternal salvation. Do you not make that same mistake yourself? So these people are, they are assenting, they are ardent, they are active. But then fourthly, we see that these people are accursed, accursed. Because surely you remember what I said at the start when I was uh, laboring how bad my math says. I said that we would do three conclusions about these people. And then I said that we would consider the verdict that is pronounced over them. So can I ask you, friend, please to look at that verdict in verse 23. It is worth your attention. Look at verse 23. And Jesus says this to us. He says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I reckon you all now, totally behind me when I said at the start, this is a solemn portion of God's word. Yep. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, there are so many tragic elements in that short sentence, aren't there? I mean, there's the element of futility. Did you not see that? Like all of these things that these people have... I've been doing these acts of service throughout their life, thinking they're storing up favor with Almighty God. In the end, what does Jesus do? He reveals that it was all futile. It was all empty. It's acts of lawlessness. Isn't that just 
horrendous, that futility in the end. So there's that. There's also, don't you see it? There's the element of forsakenness here. Because Jesus said to those people, come on, depart from me. I mean, come on. I mean, to be banished by Christ and exiled and excluded by Jesus Christ. And maybe you say to me, but, but, but where are they going? Like, where are they saying, where, depart to where? And because we're not told here, are we? But we are told later on in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 24. What does God say there? It says, depart from you cursed into the eternal fire. So there's the element of futility and man, there's the element of forsakenness. But I think the thing that gets me the most about that verdict is the element of finality about it. So final. Because you see that, the way that it opens that phrase. Look again, right at the beginning there. When Jesus says, and then I will declare to them. That's from a weird word in the Greek, uh, homologia, which is not used very often. Certainly outside Matthew's gospel, but it does seem to have the idea of a confession. The idea of a, of a declaration, a sort of pronouncement, official pronouncement. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus Christ on the last day, finally, probably official announcement without the possibility of appeal. He is declaring the fate of all those who are not in him. Finally, forever sent away. I can only plead with you, friend, that you never, ever have those words said about you, that you rest in Christ, that it can never be. You never want to hear those words. And then we end. So I wonder if you got the five, did you? These people were assenting. They are ardent. They are active. These people are accursed. And then we close with the fact that these people are answered. These people are answered. Because I'm sure that we can all, in this room, young and old, we can all imagine the situation now. Potentially what happens at this point. They're maybe grabbed, aren't they? These people, condemned. Masses of them. And they are sent away, hauled off to hell, shall we say. And I reckon at that point, they must have had one question swirling around in their minds. Don't you think so? The question, how then would we have been saved? And maybe it's the question that you're asking this morning and here right now. Are you asking that question? Like if it's not about mere intellectual assent, and if it isn't about enthusiasm, hang on a second here, and if it's not about the works of our hands, then how do we avoid this verdict? Isn't that, are you asking that? Like, how is it that, that I am made right with God? How is it that I enter heaven? Right? Are you asking that question? Well, you have the answer in front of you. And that's a big question we're asking. So do you see it? Look at verse 21. Come on, look at it. So Jesus contrasts these people. These people are being condemned. He contrasts them with those who are being saved. And what does he say about the people who are being saved? Look at the words there. The words. The people being saved are those who do the will of the Father in heaven. They do the will. And you look at me, don't you? And you sort of say back, but that's too vague. Because we're not told here what the will of God is. But I can rejoice in this. I'm enthused to be able to say, but we are told elsewhere. And perhaps these are the most important words that you will ever hear in your whole life. 
And these are the words that Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 40. You please listen to this. He speaks to his people and he says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. The words of the Son of God, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life. And isn't that everything that you need to know? That the condition for entrance into heaven, the condition of being saved, is to believe this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not, it is not about you acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. It's much more than that. It is about you today casting yourself on Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I end here, and I end with a question for you, all of you. What have you seen this morning? As you look below the surface of life, and as you have considered this sermon, not for the people around you, but as you've considered this sermon for yourself, what have you seen? As you look at your own heart, what do you see? Is it the case, is it, that you look into your heart today and you see sin? You recognize that? You look in your heart, you see iniquity. Do you recognize that? But more than that, is it the case this morning that you look in your heart and you see and know that you are resting in nothing else other than the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation? Is that true of you, friend? Is it? Do you know that on this day that we're dealing with here, the judgment day, and you stand before God, see the great white throne, the books are open. You know that there's only one thing that you're going to be able to do. There's only one thing you're going to be able to say on that day. The words of that great hymn. Oh God, nothing in hands I bring. (laughs) Simply to the cross I cling. Is that you is that your testimony are you today as you examine your heart known by god's grace you are born again and i say to you you can rejoice today you really can rejoice by christ's work by his blood by his righteousness your hope is sure your future is secure isn't that cause for joy but if not and today you examine your heart no that is not true of you This is what I wonder. 597. 597. Will today, today, just now, be the time that you finally recognize that God's word is true? 597. Will you recognize today that you need the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you finally come to him? 597. Will you today come Repent and believe in Jesus. Friends, let's bow and let's praise our God. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so conscious that to the, to the ears of our society and to our world, the immediate thought when we think of the matters of eternal judgment and damnation they are viewed as being so horrendous and so judgmental and cruel but lord god we see that it is not like that that there is nobody who is condemned that does not deserve to be condemned that those who receive what they do not deserve are those who will be by your grace pardoned and welcomed into glory 
And so we ask, Lord God, that you might reveal that to people, even in this room today. We pray, Lord God, that there would be works of salvation, that people would come to recognize that Christ is King and that they would believe for their eternal salvation on him. We pray that only for your matchless glory, for your honor, and for your praise. Amen.